Welcome to Petrifaction. We're all about horror stories. If you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you are in the right place. prepared to be petrified. Legend of the Albatwitch The Albatwitch is a four-foot-tall man-like being that lives in the woods near the Susquehanna River and Shakey's Rock in Columbia, Pennsylvania. It's located in York County and is near Gettysburg, PA. So the meaning of an albatwitch, they're not really sure. It could come from a couple different meanings, one of them being apple witch or another as being an apple snitch. And then lastly, it's Germanic for alb meaning elf or and entwitchen meaning to escape. And then albentwitchen shortened to albatwitch. So it's not really known. The albatwitch is a creature that lives in the trees and steals apples from unsuspecting picnickers. Um, once it eats the apple, it will throw the core back at the person who lost it to begin with. Sightings of the albatwitch, which is reportedly a very slender four to five foot, foot tall ape-like being, covered in reddish brown hair. These date back four to 500 years with the Susquehannock Indians who inhabited the area. Now, according to Christopher Vera, president of the Columbia Historic Preservation Society, they named it Albatwitch after the, al after the Apple Witch. Hmm. All right, so some modern accounts of the Alba Albatwitch include Vera said that a boyhood friend had reported an encounter in the early 80s. The creature came eye to eye with him, pinned him up against a tree, but when his brother yelled, the creature ran off. In another encounter, Fisher, who's been involved in paranormal research for many years, said he encountered something that looked similar to the generally accepted description of the Albatwitch. Uh, this occurred on Valentine's Day of 2002. He was en route to presenting a program on ghosts in Middletown. He said that a stick creature with glowing yellow eyes was walking down the middle of the road near Chickie's Rock. And once it realized that it was being seen, it actually vanished. So it was just a quick observation of this, this creature then. Now, Columbia does celebrate Albatwitch Day every year with poor paranormal speakers. They have live music. They have um, a trolley tour that includes throwing apples out for the Albatwitch. And there are loads of apple-themed dishes. 
This year, the Yabba Twitch Day happens on Saturday, October 9th, 2021. The squonk is the homeliest of all living things. It's covered in warts and moles with ill-fitting skin. Depictions show it as having many folds of skin and it's constantly crying. It lives solely in Pennsylvania's hemlock forests. It constantly sobs and can dissolve itself in its own tears. The Alaskan Triangle. The Alaskan Triangle is located, of course, in Alaska. It stretches from the north in Barrows down to the southwest in Anchorage and then over to the southeast in Juneau. Over the last 50 years, 20,000 people have gone missing without a trace. The local peoples associate it with evil spirits or possibly demons. In this case, it's the case of the missing congressman. The area began attracting public attention in October 1972 when a small private plane and it was carrying U.S. House Majority Leader Hale Boggs, an Alaska congressman named Nick Begich, a congressional aide, Russell Brown, and then their bush pilot was Don John. The aircraft seemingly vanished into thin air. Um, it was flying from Anchorage to Juneau, and for a month, over 50 civilian planes, 40 military aircraft, and dozens of boats covered a search area of 32,000 square miles, but no trace of the plane, of the wreckage, any kind of debris, or the men or anything. Nothing was found. There are lots of sightings, lots of people go missing in, in Alaska, and uh, they have a term for it there. It's just called gone missing. It happens so often. And Alaska is not as populated as like states like, um, I don't know, Pennsylvania, uh, New York, uh, even California, even though California is vast. Alaska has such a small population, comparative, comparatively speaking, and for 20,000 people to go missing from Alaska in just the last 50 years is just an incredible amount to me. So... Maybe there really is something to that Alaskan Triangle. A couple other stories about disappearances it happened like years ago, but so this isn't a new phenomenon either. This has been happening for a very long time. In this case, it's a story of a Selma, Alabama farmer who went missing. It happened on what autumn day in 1854. His name was Williamson, and he disappeared while crossing a field in full view, full view of his wife, his children, and several neighbors. They did conduct a search, because where did he go? He was walking, and then he was just gone. Uh, the search found that there were no holes in the earth where he could have fallen or sunken into. Um, there weren't any buildings for him to hide, and it was quite open. And they could see him. And in short, there's really no place he could be at all. He just walked into like another dimension. Eventually, he was declared legally dead. 
And this was posted in the San Francisco Examiner Sunday Supplement of 1888, October 14. And this disappearance comes from Reader's Digest. And it's regard to Owen Parfit. This happened in 1763. And he was paralyzed. He lived with his sister. And they lived in Shepton Mollet, which was the name of the town. And so he was paralyzed. He could not walk. Keep this in mind. Um, He was sitting on his sister's porch. So he was just sitting there. There were people outside. There were farm workers across the street from where he was. And nobody came or went. Nobody was seen. It was just one moment. Mr. Parfit was sitting on the porch. And again, like the other case... The next moment, he was just gone. And again, there were searches conducted, but, I mean, where could he go? He was never found again. He was never seen or heard from again. And in another case more recently, in the 1940s anyway, the Bennington area has been a place where there have been several disappearances and there, there were several that happened between 1945 and 1950. And they were all unsolved. And one of them involved the wife of James Tetford. Tetford had said she'd gone to the market and never returned. All right. So, you know, that could just be maybe she wandered off. She was abducted. Who knows? But what's weird is Tetford himself was later missing. He just vanished. In 1949, he was on a bus. He was returning to Bennington. The bus was crowded, and he had been sleeping in his seat. The seat had his belongings in it. He was there. The bus didn't stop anywhere else. However, once it arrived in Bennington, there was no Mr. Tetford. He'd gone. All his belongings were left behind, and he was never seen or heard from again. He just disappeared right off the bus. And if that's not bizarre, I'm not sure what is. This missing report is from 2004 and involves a nine-year-old boy named David Gonzalez. On a July day in 2004, he asked his mother if he could have the car keys. He wanted a box of cookies that he'd left in the car. And, um... The car was only about 50 yards away. His mother had an open view, like a straight view, to the parking lot. Now, she was watching David as he went to the car. And they were located at the Big Bear Lake campsite in Northern California's San Bernardino National Forest. For a split second, Mom turned her back. And when she turned around, her son was gone. Now, she reported that she hadn't heard any sound at all when her back was turned. She just turned her back. I mean, it was just a second. So how could he disappear so quickly? Uh, There were no signs of abduction. And the cookies that Gonzalez had gone for in the car were still there. So he never even made it to the car. Rescue teams in San Bernardino County scoured the woods for Gonzalez, and they found no signs of a struggle or of the boy. The search went on for nine days. 
but rescuers never found him. It was almost a year later, hikers stumbled upon a body. The remains were about a mile from the family's campsite, and authorities chalked this up to a mountain lion attack. However, just keep in mind, how could a mountain lion have silently dragged a nine-year-old boy a mile without leaving any blood or signs of a struggle? And it happened in an instant. fellow and his date pulled into their favorite lover's lane to listen to the radio and do a little bit of necking. The music was interrupted by an announcer who said that there was an escaped convict in the area who had served time for rape and robbery. He was described as having a hook instead of a right hand. The couple became frightened and drove away. Now when the boy took his girlfriend home, went around to open the car door for her. Then he saw a hook on the door handle. And that was from the urban legend, The Hook or the Hook Man. And there are several different versions of this story. Some of them involve the hook being um, actually impaled into the driver's or to the uh, passenger side door. Or another one is they break down instead, and, and the man leaves the girl in the car, walk off to go get help, and she has the door locked, and she can hear this weird, like, scratching noise. And finally, after waiting for what seems like ever, she gets out of the car and finds the boyfriend is hung upside down, and his nails are making the noise that she was hearing. And a couple of other versions, and it's been used in shows like Supernatural and a lot of different ways they've used this legend. So just wanted to put it out there. It was the first urban legend I'd ever heard. I was about eight years old. My cousin was babysitting me. I was kind of laid out. We were watching spooky movies and uh, she told me this story and at eight years old, of course, it petrified me. I'm not, not so much now, but still worth, worth sharing. It's a very popular urban legend. And for now, we're going to take a short break, but I promise we'll be right back with more stories. Be petrified, friends. Petrifaction is sponsored by LegacyBrewing.shop. At LegacyBrewing.shop, it's all about the coffee. 
In addition to wonderful tasting gourmet coffee, you can also get all your accessories at LegacyBrewing.shop. They have the most adorable animal coffee mugs. And if you have great coffee, you have to have a great mug. Check them out today at LegacyBrewing.shop. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Risen's Dark Tales. There are many stories featuring monsters and gremlins, but the ones that frighten me the most are those that spring from our own bodies. When a man of God transforms into a dangerous beast, can any of us be truly safe? This story is called The Goblin of Easton. There was once a monk who loved money and power more than he loved God. He would hear the confession of the good folk who attended the mission, and then would blackmail them into giving him gold and silver to keep their darkest secrets. He turned many wayward sinners' feet towards the fires of hell rather than the gates of heaven, encouraging their crimes in secret while he reviled them in public. It was after he beat one poor old woman to death that the evil monk was imprisoned and sentenced to hang for his crimes. But just after he was cut down for the noose and pronounced dead, his corpse began to transform before the horrified eyes of the people. The face twisted, small tusks sprang from either side of his nose. His shock of white hair grew long and greasy, and two pointed canines emerged from his mouth. The goblin monk opened eyes that glowed yellow even in the light of noonday, and sprang to feet that now ended in claws rather than toes. The people screamed and fled, and no prayer of his former brothers in faith could banish the goblin. It disappeared deep into the forest, only to return at night prey upon the monks of the mission who had been responsible for its death. After five of the brothers had fallen to the goblin, the rest of the monks abandoned the mission and moved to another part of the country. Since that time, the mission house had slowly fallen into ruin. That concludes our story for the evening, ladies and gentlemen. If you ever find yourself going for a stroll in the woods, Keep a lookout for a small, wooded man. He may have horns beneath his robes. Goblin's a magical creature. It's mischievous, likes to torment children. It's grotesque in nature. It has bat-like ears and generally a long hooked nose. Its nature is to be greedy and it 
tends to be especially greedy when it concerns gold, silver, and jewelry. They also are known to have some magical abilities, um, similar to what a fairy might have or a gnome. Personally, when I think of a goblin, I picture the goblins in the Harry Potter series. I have been to the wizarding world of Harry Potter and the Gringotts Bank and the goblins there are not very friendly creatures. They're kind of salty to be honest. I stared at one. I didn't realize it was a real goblin and it turned to me and it had some choice words for me and it really actually was quite intimidating. Um, so just recommend you go there. It's kind of cool if you are into Harry Potter. Anyway, back to the story. Um, I brought this up because recently in Easton, there has been a report of somebody describing a goblin-like creature. It happened on a farm near the town. It was a local farmer had reported missing livestock to begin with. And the police took the report. Uh, the following morning, a kid had come across a body, and it, and it was remains of an animal, wasn't, wasn't a human, but the animal had been mutilated, scared the kid, kid told the parents, parents contacted the police, so they got involved again, and yes, it was determined that this was the farmer's animal that had gone, mi gone missing, and they couldn't say for sure what happened to it. It didn't look like perdition, it didn't look like, you know back in the 80s when they had the the satanic panic it didn't look like it was something like that either I just wasn't really known what had caused the injuries to this animal so the farmer thinking he had some kind of predator was watching his livestock a little bit more closely than he normally did and um, a few nights later he had spotted what he called an ugly humanoid-like thing and then he did call it a goblin he said it was lurking in the woods just off his pasture he said it had yellow glowing eyes it looked like it had claws instead of hand instead of like paws it had claws and the claws were like hands and um it, it, he just said it was goblin like then he shouted at it to be gone and it did take off running in the woods it was the only sighting he ever had of this thing and he swears that it's true and he does not know what it was just to say it was a goblin so as a matter of fact there is a history of goblin sightings in Easton Easton is an older city it's one of the oldest cities in Pennsylvania um, it was settled roughly about the same time as Philadelphia it is just north of Philadelphia about if you're driving it's about 60 miles or an hour and Easton's one of three cities that the De Declaration of Independence was publicly read after its signing in 1776. And Easton celebrates this with a huge Heritage Day celebration in July of every year. It's roughly around, uh, it follows July 4th. It's roughly around the 6th, 7th, or 8th, depending on when that weekend is closest. Now, so before the revolution, the town had already sprung up and was growing, and a mission came in 
that was uh, it was a building with monks, several monks in it, and these brothers were very uh, pious, except for one who happened to be quite an evil guy. He pretended to be God-fearing and God-loving, but in fact, he loved money more than he loved God. He took confessions from the people, and then he turned around and he blackmailed them. So to keep their secrets, the parishioners had to pay him. On Sundays, he'd come in and preach about the wickedness, but in truth, he encouraged the people to sin more and more. The more they sinned, the more money they would have to pay. At some point, this evil man beat an old woman to death. And he was, he was arrested. He had a trial. He was found guilty. And he was hung for his crime. Upon his hanging, the corpse reanimated. It said that the face slowly twisted, popping out tusks and then fangs from his mouth. White hair grew long and greasy out of his balding head and his bulging eyes turned yellow and they glowed. They glowed even in daylight. His hands and feet curled up and instead of having toes and fingers, claws appeared. And with that, the goblin ran off, disappearing into the woods. Unfortunately for the brothers in the mission, the goblin would return at night and kill them off one by one. They looked for him, but he was never caught. And after the fifth brother was brutally killed, the others had had enough and they abandoned the mission, going to other places to get far away from this gremlin. Eventually the mission fell into ruin and from time to time, the goblin sightings continue even to this day. A West Te Texas police officer describes a harrowing encounter with a Bigfoot while in a specific part of the county. Another officer encountered a Bigfoot in the same area one year later. As a cop, I spend a lot of time dealing with things that scare people. Things they can or don't wanna try and explain. I'm usually the person that gets the call to go check out the things that go bump in the night. Add in the fact I usually work alone, in the middle of nowhere. I've ran across and seen some things I can't rightly explain. This was probably the first time in my career I had been in a supernatural situation. This was the starting point of what has turned out to be a very interesting career. One night on the tail end of July, I was cruising backcountry roads trying to find some kind of trouble to get into. As the only deputy out on the county that night, I had been busy up to a point. Then the calls had slacked off around midnight. 
I hadn't seen a single soul for the last few hours, and I decided I'd try and be proactive for a bit. The night was hot. I had the window rolled down. I'd been driving for a few hours straight with no luck at finding anything. The only thing I had scared up was a few rabbits and a fox. I decided to stop, stretch my legs, and answer, answer nature's call. I pulled to a stop in a particularly empty part of the county. I had driven the road a few times. It was old, it was mostly old abandoned barns and houses. No one lived in the area and it made a good target for thieves trying to steal copper or whatever they could get their hands on. The left side of the road was nothing but cornfields, as far as you could see. It was getting close to harvest time and the stalks were close to seven or eight feet tall. And it was just a sea of green. On the right side of the truck was an old abandoned apple orchard. I never did get the full story of how the land came to be abandoned. It had something to do with multiple mistresses, multiple wills, illegitimate children, and all other kinds of nonsense. The result of which was 150 acres of fruit trees that had become its own little forest over the 20 or so years it had been unattended. I was sitting in the truck, had my head laid back, just enjoying my little break. I'd closed my eyes for a second. And when I opened them, I looked out into the cornfield and I made direct eye contact with something. At first I thought it was a person and it almost gave me a heart attack right there. The thing stood about seven feet tall. Its eyes were human, but they shone in the night like animal eyes. I'm not a weak man. I've done more stupid and foolish things in my time than I care to remember. I've been afraid before and I'm not above admitting it. There was something about these eyes that absolutely terrified me. So I did what any normal, insane, 22-year-old dumb kid would do, and I chased it. I kept eye contact with the thing. I slowly rolled up my window, and without breaking, I checked out with dispatch over the radio, grabbed my patrol rifle off its mount above me. I remember taking a deep breath and then throwing the door open and jumping out of the truck yelling, Sheriff's Office! In the most authoritative voice I could muster. I maintained eye contact for the entire time, except right as my vision crossed the A-pillar on the driver's side. As soon as my boots touched the dirt of the road, the creature was gone. I caught nothing but a blur of black and brown vaulting across the road that ran into the trees. Once again, I let, I let my sense of self-invincibility get the better of me. I kicked the door closed on the truck and took off after it, yelling for it to stop. I stumbled into the forest and was hit with the most overpowering odor. It was a combination of unwashed person, body odor, and animal musk. I still remember the smell vividly all these years later. I've been around rotting bodies that didn't impact me as much as that smell. I've never been a particularly fast runner. I've not ever cared much for it and always been more of a short burst kind of guy. Whatever I was going after was fast though. 
It didn't dawn on me until much later that it was probably just playing with me, leading me further into its miniature forest. I would catch a black blur moving off in the distance, or I'd hear a branch break or a sound off to the side. I stumbled, I stumbled around like this for a good 15 minutes before my bravado and adrenaline wore off. And I decided I should head back to the truck because I was alone and at this point, to be honest, just scared. The whole way back, I had that itch between my shoulder blades, that, like I was being watched, like I was the intruder in someone else's domain. I made it out of the trees and back to the truck. It was in the same place I had left it, but the driver's side door was open. The dome light on. The vehicle turned off with the key still in the ignition. I knew I hadn't locked the door, but I know that I'd left it running. And I didn't often turn it off during my shift. I checked the truck making sure it was empty and that same smell filled the cab of the truck. It was in the seats and carpets like something had sat back in my seat and just wallowed around in it. I started the truck and got out of there as fast as I could. I didn't tell anyone about that encounter. I just told dispatch I had thought I'd seen something, that it turned out to be nothing, and left it at that. Around a year later, during one of the few times I rotated to days and had a partner to work with, I was driving around on the opposite side of the county. I just cleared a cattle call, playing cowboy, pushing some steers back into a fence when my partner called me wanting to know where I was. He was scared and I could hear it in his voice. I let him know where I was and he asked if I could meet him down on the southwest part of the county. There was an old gin down there and just happened to be in the same general area of my encounter about a year prior. I'd never told him about it, but I agreed to meet him. The story I got from him was he had pulled into the same cornfield from a year earlier, not too far from where my story took place. He'd backed into it and decided to stop there to get a few minutes of rest. It was a Sunday morning, like most of our Sundays. Nothing really happens until after lunch when people start to get active. My partner had dozed off for a few minutes and had been woken by his truck violently being shook back and forth with a dust cloud dissipating around him. He first thought it was me just messing with him. When he got out to check, he told me he smelled a nasty animal odor. Not finding anything else out of the ordinary, he went to get back in his truck and drove away. He drove down to the gin, got out and walked around the place to make sure no one was there. When he went to go get out, get back in the truck, he noticed the handprint on top of his window. Now, anyone who has ever driven a truck down a dirt road will tell you that handprints on vehicles fill with dust and they'll stand out. He saw the print, freaked out and called me. You see right over his head on the top part of the door and the cab of the truck, was the biggest handprint I've ever seen in my life. I have average hands for my size. It was easily bigger than two of my hands. I told him my story. He described the smell near 
excuse me, nearly the same as I did. Neither of us ever found out what was living down there. I heard a few more stories over my time there. I even ran ac across one guy who was convinced it was the West Texas version of Bigfoot. I would answer a few suspicious calls around that area over the next few years, and I always kept an eye out, but never had another encounter like I did that night. That comes from Lon Strickler from Phantoms and Monsters. Thanks, Lon. And I just want to say that's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating, and hit subscribe. If you have a story you'd like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories and be petrified.